Welcome to Season 2, Episode 23 of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I'm your host, David Panraj. We have launched this podcast to highlight the stories of everyday community leaders who break down barriers to entry for underserved and underrepresented entrepreneurs. In this podcast, we speak with some of the leading voices in the field of inclusive entrepreneurship and learn from their best practices to apply in our own communities as practitioners. Today, we're speaking with Banks Benitez, co-founder and CEO of Uncharted. Welcome, Banks. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. So, Banks, tell us a little bit about Uncharted and the work you're doing. Yeah, so Uncharted is a social impact accelerator. We're based primarily in Denver, Colorado, but we work across the United States. And we are supporting and accelerating early stage solutions to economic inequality in the U.S. We see economic inequality as one of the biggest threats next to climate change in the U.S. in the next 30 years. And we are finding, funding, and accelerating really early stage social ventures, which are for-profits, nonprofits, policy organizations, um, community-based organizations, social movements that are addressing economic inequality in the U.S. This is a question I ask all our guests, the why behind this. What motivated you to do this work? A lot of this is really, really hard work. What's your inspiration behind this work? Yeah, it is hard work. I think what's what's motivated me to do this work and what's motivated our organization to do this work has been uh, working with early stage social entrepreneurs, activists in the last 10 years. Um, we see a number of challenges that they face. We also have worked on a number of different issues in the United States, everything from early child education to uh, the future of sustainable food to building resilient cities. And what we have discovered from an issue perspective is that underneath all of those issues really is a broken economic system. And economic inequality is sort of like this mother problem, this upstream driver of so many downstream issues, whether those are affordable housing, whether that is um, having to cover runaway healthcare costs, uh, whether that is transportation issues, um, economic inequality is the base layer challenge of, of sort of this social and economic system in the United States. And it is a force multiplier that is exacerbating other major issues. So over the years, we as an accelerator, um, working with early stage entrepreneurs, worked on a number of different topics, and we just kept coming back to the upstream drivers of those issues. When we were working on food deserts and uh, here in Denver, Colorado, uh, we had a partnership with the city of Denver about what would it look like to transform the city's food deserts and to build food resilience and food justice in those neighborhoods. We could not have that conversation without understanding the brokenness of the economic system and economic inequality. And of course, Economic inequality is normal. It's the extremity, how extreme economic inequality is increasingly becoming, which is the problem. So from, a, from an issue perspective, we've worked across a number of issues, a number of different communities, worked with a lot of entrepreneurs, and that has led us to really understand that this intersectional issue 
of economic inequality, which of course is infused with the conversation around racial justice, um, infused with needing to think about gender equity, infused with understanding a 400 year history of oppression in the United States, infused with understanding the role that technology plays and is going to play. Um, in the last 20 years, the amount of wealth in the United States has 3 x So if we were having this podcast conversation in year 2001, um, there would be one third the wealth that there is right now in the US. But the growth, the 3x growth in wealth has been completely uh, been distributed in, in ways that are unequal. Um, and, and for the bottom 50% of the United States, th they have not participated in the majority of that wealth. So from an issue perspective, we're, in, we're, we're driven by trying to address these big issues and really seeing like, really, there are no two bigger problems than economic inequality and climate change in the next 30 years, in our opinion. And we're trying to take the long view when it comes to addressing these issues. And then from, a, from an entrepreneur perspective, we are entrepreneurs. We have you know, been building our own organization as a team of entrepreneurs We've experienced uh, what it's like and trying to thread the needle between making payroll, living your values, hiring people, you know, pursuing a mission, you know, having impact metrics that really drive your work. And entrepreneurship is a hard thing. In early stage organizations, it's really hard, hard work. And so for us as an organization, we see that we can go out and support other entrepreneurs, people who have an audacious vision people that are committed to economic justice, people who are committed to building a better world um, and helping remove the barriers that they, that they encounter. So what that means is we help them take on capital. We invest in them ourselves. We match them to mentors. We give access to executive coaches. We connect them with experts who help them fundraise. We match make with other investors. How might we remove some of the, the barriers and the challenges and sort of the gravity that pulls an entrepreneur back down to reality and help them scale? And that's really the driving force of our organization. We think working really early stage um, is one of the most strategic things we can do. And it's one of the most powerful things we can do from a community perspective, because um, taking a chance on people Take, being the first to take a chance on somebody, especially when other people don't take a chance on them, um, creates really strong bonds between us and our portfolio. Wow, you are so eloquent in describing the problem uh, and uh, how you're addressing it. So I'm going to make this podcast a little bit more kind of um, uh, uh, make this more about the real content itself. Because sure. uh, I feel like you are a thought leader in this space and you can speak to this. And you're, I feel like you're the meta of the meta. Let's say the meta is that entrepreneurs are solving for problems that address economic um, inequity while they themselves are going to benefit from the outcome. And then you have a layer on top of that where you support these people while you yourself are having to live that same value system. So uh, it's incredible and, and I love that you've chosen entrepreneurship to solve this problem, because at the end of the day, if we if we need to solve these really big problems, we got to be innovative. We got to think like a startup. We got to really think about iterating over and over again, being nimble as we learn, 
Can you talk to us a little bit about the startups uh, and the social ventures that you support? Can you tell us a little bit more about kind of how they go about solving these problems? Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I think I've been doing this for 10 years. And on, on one hand, it's undeniable looking at sort of the, the economic history in the last even 30 years alone, the power of business to build wealth. It's built fantastic wealth for few people. And entrepreneurship is a powerful tool for social change. I mean, we're all on our phones now. We're all on social media platforms, all these things. It's a powerful tool for social change um, to a degree. And I also think we need to be skeptical of just entrepreneurship as not this panacea. I think we should be cautious of thinking that it is a cure-all for all of the world's problems. Uncharted has supported both for-profits and non-profit entrepreneurs for a long time. Recently, we've expanded out to look at policy experiments, to look at advocacy groups, to look at social movements, moving beyond sort of a narrow definition of traditional entrepreneurship where you're building a product or a service and thinking about does an organization or an entrepreneur have to scale, 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 scale always? Or is there an organization that may be entrepreneurial, but is staying small and then is operating a leverage point in a system, possibly when it comes to policy, possibly when it comes to sort of narrative change? And so our definition and expansion of the types of ventures that we're working with has moved away from just entrepreneurship. That said, to your point, we really bring an entrepreneurial DNA to our work and we look for people who are building who are, who are bringing an entrepreneurial mindset to their work. Um, we work in the space of humans that, are, that have a big vision and they may not have much traction. And so they need to have that entrepreneurial vision. So we just selected a cohort in the last, uh, in the last we just announced our cohort in the last week. We selected them a few weeks, a few weeks before. Um, and there's an amazing group of 10 entrepreneurs that we're working with. Uh, and they are working across issues of housing, housing being one of the key drivers of wealth building in the United States. And the dichotomy between renters and owners is a dichotomy that also manifests itself in an economically unequal system. So there's ventures that are working in housing. Um, we have ventures that are thinking about um, workers and worker rights and building minimum wage um, economies in the United States. And so there's workers there. There are people that are thinking about benefits. And you know, there's so many workers now that are not full-time salaried workers in the United States. They're contractors. They may not have savings, retirement, health care. And so we are supporting a number of organizations that are contemplating and exploring from an entrepreneurial perspective, solutions that will, might change the way we think about wealth building in the US. Um, I will say like any entrepreneur, we, we have this theory or notion in, in America where like everything has to happen very fast, where like an entrepreneur needs to scale quickly. And we take a very patient approach um, on one hand, social change in, in one generation is seems very slow. And sometimes if you talk to an investor and you're saying, look, we're not going to really transform ourselves or we're not going to be really impactful for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, investors would say, too long, not worth it. But on the social impact side, on the narrative change side, 25 years is no time at all. 
It's extremely quick. And so we're trying to support organizations that are not, that don't have necessarily a plan for impact tomorrow, but are taking the long view and are thinking really long term about the solutions that will show up in the next 5, 10, 15 years. And what's interesting is that when you extend your time horizon, you have fewer competitors because everybody, we live in a short-term world. So you, betting on entrepreneurs that think long-term, um, it's, it's a rarefied group. Well said. Let's talk a little bit more about wealth creation and empowerment because that's a topic I'm really passionate about when we say we want to address social justice or we want people to have the freedom to do the things they want to do. We live in a money-driven world where money kind of ultimately decides which park you go to, which school you go to, etc. And so we can't empower people and break down these generational challenges without also addressing wealth creation, which is what you're talking about. How do you do this in a more sustainable way? Because, you know, you look at the last 30 years, the inequalities keep getting starker and starker. Like we seem to like feel like we are getting closer, but we actually are getting farther on this basic premise of uh, empowerment and wealth creation. Like, and I get the long view that, you know, some of these things take a long time, but are we at least on that journey? Have we started on this journey of actually uh, as entrepreneurs or even looking at the workforce or looking at policy, looking at every aspect of how we create wealth? Are we actually moving the needle or are we just, again, continuing to add to the 1% at a really slow rate and everybody else still stays where they are? You know, I, I think if we're to look at population level metrics, we're not moving the needle. And Uncharted is imperceptible in its work at a population level. Um, just because the levers of wealth building are so are so immense. So, for example, last year, um, 50% of all wealth that was created in the United States came from rising stock prices compared to 17% that came from rising home prices. So you know, I'm not sure what it's like in Tampa, but here in Denver, rising home prices are everywhere and there's an affordable housing crisis. That only is 17% of all the wealth that was created last year. 50%, a way bigger percentage is because of rising, of rising stock prices. And people who participate in the economic, in the financial markets tend to be older. They tend to be white. They tend to already have wealth and be upper middle class. Um, and so they are compounding wealth. And that is making the, the economic inequality wider and wider and wider. Now, there is, some, there is some hope. And I think we're seeing some areas where things are beginning to change. I don't know if that's going to show up in terms of moving the needle. But for example, um, for people under the age of 40, there were more new black investors in the stock market than there were white investors in the stock market last year. Part of that has to do with retail platforms like Robinhood. Robinhood is an organization, you know, a retail trading app um, has had challenges and is, is sort of, you know, a, a debatable company for a number of reasons. But it has pushed people to participate in wealth creation in the United States. And so there is a way where that is helping. Now, of course, wealth is still predominantly concentrated in the hands of older, white, wealthy people. Um, and again, I think economic inequality is getting worse and worse. But are there leading indicators that are showing us, oh, this is interesting. Oh, potentially there are ways where 
um, more people are participating in the upside? Yes, we still have an affordable housing crisis. One of the things that the that Uncharted looks at is the generational wealth gap. So for people, for our parents, when they were our age, they had more wealth than we do now. And a dimension of that is pensions. Pensions have gone away. Um, another dimension is housing. It's so hard to buy a home now. Homes are, are more expensive. Um, so I, I, I guess to say, like, are we turning the tide on extreme economic inequality? I would say no which is why I think it's one of the biggest threats in the next 30 years. And it's why we need to be really innovative with the types of solutions we need to explore. Um, and it's why it, I would, it rises to the level of, I think, an issue similar to climate change, because we're not seeing the results we need to see. There are small pockets of organizations, of solutions that are doing cool things, co-ops, where instead of just the owners and the investors owning the company, the whole entire employee base owns the company. We are seeing a rise of the minimum wage. A variety of things are moving. I don't think it's translating right now into population level outcomes. And that just means we have a lot more work to do. Yeah. And, you know, I'd love to go down this path. And there are so many other kind of challenges. Sometimes it feels like you need to have permission to get rich in this country. And there are so many of these other uh, areas we can focus on, but I'll, I'll focus uh, primarily around innovation and the sure. work that you're doing that's helping drive innovation in this field, because I think that's something that we can take away as a tangible outcome. If you, know, if you could help us understand how do you uh, help inspire these companies or even how do you seek out these companies and how do you create a framework for them to come and work with you all around this innovative solutions that we just started talking about, like, you know, what are the things that can move the needle, like, you know, participating in the stock market, uh, helping with affordable housing, looking at food desserts, like, how do you kind of help find these companies? And do you have a framework around helping people ideate in these solutions? So we receive applications from entrepreneurs. So this year we received 344 applications for 10 spots. 77% of those were people of color, 63% were women. These are really early stage entrepreneurs, leaders, activists um, that have very early stage embryonic ideas. So in some ways, the, the idea that, that they come to us with is already an innovation in some respect. So we they're not showing up and saying, all right, let's develop new innovative ideas. We are not a venture studio where we're conceiving of them. They've already been established. So in that respect, we believe that the people who have lived the failures of our economic system are the ones who are best equipped to develop those solutions. And we really trust that. Now, of course, like any entrepreneurship journey, the, the idea you start with <laughs> is not the idea that you oftentimes end with. And so while the idea comes in and it, it's, it's informed by lived experience, it's informed by all the wisdom of the people who apply, we recognize there are going to be pivots. In the last 10 years and 200 entrepreneurs in our portfolio have demonstrated that there are tons of pivots that, that people take. And so one of the things that we really push entrepreneurs to understand is who are you accountable to? Who are Who is really driving your growth and your impact? What are the key bottlenecks that you need to solve for? And I think an entrepreneurial posture towards listening to their market, listening to um, the payers, the customers, the users, and 
assuming a learning posture and a very dynamic posture of, of adaptation, especially in the early days, is one of the most important things that we do. And so how do you cultivate a growth mindset? How do you cultivate rapid tests, rapid prototyping? And we match entrepreneurs with mentors and with experts who are really helping them think about the key assumptions, breaking their model down to first principles, launching quick experiments to see, will this work and will this not work? Mapping out the journey that they want to say, okay, we want to get more black and brown communities into home ownership. Well, what are the biggest impediments to doing that? Let's tackle the biggest impediment first. Because let's not procrastinate on that big one. Let's see if that one is a non-starter. And if we can't address it, we need to figure out a different route. And so for us, we select entrepreneurs that are coachable. If we select an entrepreneur who's not coachable, we can't do it. We can't be of any help whatsoever. Um, it is it is the most one of the most important things that we select for them is that they're willing to learn and be coachable. Um, and we really support them with resources to understand their local specific organizational context. We're working across for-profits, nonprofits, policy experiments. So to apply one specific innovation framework to all of that would be unwise. More, it's better for us instead to provide contextualized mentorship for each organization in our portfolio push people to validate the key assumptions that they have. In a sense, essentially, stage as a concept is really just a basket of unknowns. Stage tells you what you do know and what you don't know. And so we push our entrepreneurs to take their unknowns and convert them into knowns, rapidly iterating and testing. That, that's fascinating because uh, if you don't adapt, you die <laughs> as a startup. Like uh, we've pivoted. 30, 40 times. And really the pivot is listening to the market. Like if you're not willing to listen to the market, no matter how great your idea is, it's going to die, right? The people that are paying for it. Uh, one of the things that I noticed on your platform that uh, is a very tactical question that our clients ask us all the time um, is around mentorship. How do you create value on both ends? Of course, on the startup side, they get the value um, but on the mentor side, and then how do you kind of match them so that that's something that is perpetual, that that both parties see value, it's a good fit, because that's something that across the country, we get asked all the time. Mentorship is so hard. And, you know, there's other forms of mentorship, like business coaching and stuff that work well, but true altruistic mentorship is so hard to, to do. How do you how do you guys make that a successful uh, program? We have wrestled with this over the years. It has not necessarily been a straightforward thing. Um, chapter one was we just threw mentors and entrepreneurs in a room and said, like, figure it out. And over the years, we've become more and more thoughtful about how we pair mentors and entrepreneurs. Uh, a couple of years ago, like five years ago now, we realized that we had this problem where mentors and entrepreneurs were not in long lasting relationships. It would be a short term relationship and then they would, it would fall off. And we said, what, why is that? What is going on? And we talked to a lot of mentors and talked to a lot of entrepreneurs. And we realized that it wasn't because mentors were too busy. It was actually because the entrepreneur was dropping the ball. And the entrepreneur was dropping the ball because they actually didn't know how to engage with a mentor. And the mentor-mentee relationship is actually an un, in, it's unnatural relationship we have in society. It's, it's not something that we've necessarily been sort of taught to understand. We understand sort of teacher and student, 
But in a professional adult context, mentor-mentee is not a relationship we're familiar with. And so what we learned about was, okay, Uncharted, first of all, cannot be the third wheel in that relationship. It has to be between those two humans, between the mentor and the entrepreneur. And so we had to, instead of continually inserting ourselves in that process, create an organizational design, a container in which those two humans would naturally want to work together for a long time. So we did a couple of things. One was we got really clear about what mentors could help with. So we knew what their expertise was. We got we we dove into their backgrounds. We asked them like what are you best in the world at? What is your superpower? And we categorized mentors that way because as an entrepreneur, if you don't know exactly what question to ask of a, of a mentor, they may not give you good answers. Um, so that was on the on the mentor side as you really begin to categorize their skill set well. On the entrepreneur side, we said, look, you need to drive this relationship. The men, you can't depend on the mentor to just keep calling you saying, do you need help this week? Do you need help this week? Do you need help this week? It's, it's not going to work. And so the, the entrepreneur is in the driver's seat and they're the ones that need to figure out this mentor relationship's working, this one's not working. Um, and they need to know how to uh, ask the right questions. We had a lot of entrepreneurs who would ask a question like, here's my business, so what do you think? And it's like, that's not a good question. It has to be like, hey, David, I've done some research into your background and you have expertise in X, Y, and Z. And in your last couple of roles, you accomplished A, B, and C. And therefore, can we talk about what you accomplished in role B and what it was like to pivot that company at that point in time, because we're going through a similar thing. So we coached our entrepreneurs to ask better questions of mentors. And it's still been a process. Um, and it's it's we have a very diverse cohort of entrepreneurs every single year and a very diverse network of mentors. And so one size fits all doesn't work. Some people want the brief calls. Some people want deep dives. It, it really varies. And we have to put those two people in the driver's seat of that relationship. Fascinating. So we have time for one more question, and this is something that I'm passionate about, and I'm sure our practitioners would love to know, which is about people and culture. Because if you can create a collective why, you don't need rules, right? You don't need to have clock in, clock out, and all of that other stuff, right? You can really truly create a team of power players that come together with a common vision. How have you been able to do that in your company? And is it the recruitment process? Is it, how do you, you know, especially in this virtual world, how do you instill the culture? How do you get people all looking in the same direction with the same values? It's a great question. It's one we've wrestled with. I think I am learning, it's okay to be redundant on issues of direction, why, vision, culture, and values. Sometimes you think, well, I've already said it once, like I've already communicated it once, but to really be redundant to the point of like banging on that drum and saying, this is what we're all about. This is why we exist. I write a weekly letter to our team every Monday morning. And I, I try to come back to principles of our why. I try to come back to our values. And making that part of the daily conversation is one of the most important things that we can do. There's this great quote that I love by Saint Antoine de Exupéry, and it says like something. I'm going to paraphrase it here. I don't. I don't have it perfectly. It's like if you want to build a ship, don't teach people 
how to collect the wood and use the nails and actually like the mechanics of building the ship, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Um, and you want to find people who are yearning for the same vast and endless sea that you are. <laughs> and so part of that is hiring people who are on the same mission, hiring entrepreneurs themselves, hiring people who understand these issues, understand these challenges in the U.S. They are already yearning for the vast and endless sea of our work as we are. And in that respect, you don't have to worry about teaching them all the mechanics of how to build a ship because they are yearning in the same direction that you're yearning. And that's enough. Um, people are immensely coachable and capable and can learn so many new things. And so I think it's hire people that share a vision and a mission and don't be afraid to be redundant with your key principles. I love that. We have a quarterly team day that we do and we spend a whole day talking about our why. And we get other people in our industry to come and tell us their whys. Because if we're all in this together, you know, stakeholders, clients, partners, builders, etc., we all need to be, at the end of the day, we're connected by that same fabric and we can learn from each other and inspire each other. Uh, and so uh, I, love, I love what you just said. It kind of validates for me the redundancy in that we only have one theme. We don't do different themes for our team day. The same theme every team day, which is why are we in this? Let's ask ourselves, let's do a gut check. Are we doing this for the right reasons? Are we all, uh, and I love this quote, I'm going to use that if you don't mind about, you know, earn for the, for the vast seas, you know, because if, you, if you're looking in that direction, you'll all figure out who gets the wood, who brings the nails, how do you put that, that ship together? As we wrap up really quick, uh, for people that want to learn about your work and connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so uncharted.org, um, we have our work on our website. We have uh, all of our portfolio companies on our website, so you can, you can see them there. That's the best entry point. Um, we send out a newsletter. I send out a monthly letter as well. Um, and I'm happy to share those links over to you. You can put in the show notes if it's helpful. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, we'll add those in the show notes. And again, thank you so much, Banks, for coming on the show. I've been a huge fan watching from the sidelines and uh, talking to you inspires me even more. And now I understand why I was so thrilled even by the messaging I've seen online. So thank you for joining us today. David, you're kind. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Polraj. Special thanks to Banks Benitez for joining us. Show notes by creative director Jackie Dietrich. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.